Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Peter Yashik is the author of Imprisoned with ISIS, Faith in the Face of Evil. He's the son of a pastor who was persecuted in communist Czechoslovakia. He joined Voice of the Martyrs in 2002 to aid and assist persecuted Christians. And in December of 2015, Peter traveled to Sudan to evaluate how his ministry could help persecuted Christians there. He planned to be back home within a few days. But as he prepared to board his return flight, he was summoned in for questioning by the Sudanese security agents, and he would spend the next 445 days in prison and would actually have a cell with ISIS fighters. Again, he tells this story in the book Imprisoned with ISIS, Faith in the Face of Evil. Peter, great to make your acquaintance. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. My pleasure. So let's talk a little bit about your work. Before you were in prison in Sudan, you had a long history of serving persecuted Christians around the globe. How did you get involved doing that? I have always considered it as a great privilege to serve the persecuted church because, you know, I was one of those who have been recent, uh, before helped by others when we were suffering under the communist oppression. So since we were released uh, from this oppression and we got the freedom back, it was uh, kind of a normal thing for us uh, to start helping others who were still being persecuted. And I had a great chance in the, you know, since 1992, when we have founded the Czech Voice of the Martyrs, you know, to uh, meet people who I consider heroes of faith. You know, I've met people who have not only lost their material things, like their houses being looted and burned and destroyed, or their cars being destroyed, I had the opportunity to meet many um, believers who have lost their beloved ones, uh, parents, children, brothers, sisters, or other relatives. Uh, but I had the great privilege to meet uh, people whom I consider the real heroes of yeah. faith, mm -hmm. those who have also lost parts of their own bodies because they didn't want to renounce their faith in Jesus. You know, you all know that, uh, um, you know, the Muslims, uh, when they are trying to um, convert people to Islam, you know, they are using different methods. One of them is to uh, intimidate the people. And one of the ways of intimidation is, you know, for those who are resistant, you know, and do not want to change and deny Christ, uh, you know, is to cut off left arm and right leg. And mm. I had the opportunity to meet these heroes of faith wow. who, when I was interviewing them, were missing either left arm or right leg or both. Oh, wow. That is, that's grisly. Um, and, uh, but these are men and women who were faithful to Jesus in the midst of that persecution and suffering. And, uh, Absolutely. You know, these people definitely must have come through a period of time when they were deeply traumatized, you know, and often when I was, for instance, speaking to children of a pastor, you know, who was being brutally killed, uh, you know, they told me that they had at first difficulties to forgive, uh, but the Holy Spirit worked on their hearts and eventually they came to the point where they were able to forgive, even though the wounds uh, had to be healed in a longer time after mm. that. What were the uh, particular circumstances that led to your visit uh, to Sudan uh, just before you were imprisoned? Uh, 
2015, I was the regional director for Africa for the Voice of the Martyrs, you know, the organization sure. founded by Richard Boombrand in 1967. Who, by the and way, I, I should mention, I should mention, uh, back it was the late 80s or very early 90s, where I actually had the chance to interview Richard Wormbrand. When he, oh, that's excellent. He, he came through yeah. Detroit for some reason. I can't remember the circumstances, but I was just starting a radio program, and I was just blessed mm. to have him there. And uh, it, it was it was like being in the, the presence of mountains, uh, a, really yeah. a truly great man. You know, I went to Sudan uh, to document persecution of other Christian brothers and sisters and uh, as individuals and also the whole denominations, you know, to see the destroyed churches, uh, the church buildings. And I carefully planned uh, that trip, you know, with my Sudanese friends whom I met at the conference in uh, Addis Ababa uh, later that year. And, uh, you know, I was uh, uh, just, uh, I went to also help uh, those uh, uh, who have been persecuted. Uh, one of them was a, a student who was a Muslim background believer, and he was, uh, you know, deeply uh, injured because he was burned uh, because he didn't want to uh, renounce his Christian faith. And, uh, you know, I managed to uh, document his injuries and also to interview him. Uh, but uh, I was uh, followed by the secret uh, police in mm -hmm. Sudan. And in the moment uh, when I was uh, just uh, getting ready to fly home and I was already holding boarding passes for my uh, flights home, I was arrested, interrogated for nearly 24 hours and, uh, you know, uh, later on arrested, imprisoned. And uh, then I was for four months being interrogated by secret police. After that, I was brought before the judge and I heard for the first time, you know, that for, you know, I was charged with seven different articles and for two of them, I was uh, supposed to expect a death penalty for wow. espionage and also for uh, trying to change the regime in Sudan. You know, I didn't yeah. know that you could change it in four days, uh, you know, <laughs> when I was in Sudan. And uh, after that, uh, I was um, prosecuted by the prosecutors another four months. And after eight months being in prison, eventually the court case started. And it was a long court case. It lasted six months. At the end of the six months uh, period, you know, being brought in the kind of kettle wagons, you know, uh, to the court, uh, uh, from the prison to the court building and back, uh, I heard the sentence. It was not the death penalty, but it was, you know, just the life sentence. Oh. And two of my Sudanese brothers were sentenced to 12 years. And that's the story in a very short uh, manner. Yeah. Um, so you were, I, I understand you actually were in five different prisons over that time. Right. And um, I guess the question would be, um, were some of them better than others, or were they all equally bad? I could say that uh, coming from one prison to another, uh, it, it was going from the uh, bad to worse. Yeah, okay. Even though the, the first one was the worst one because of the fellow prisoners, because I was imprisoned with uh, six other members of Islamic State. One of them was a Libyan guy who at the age of 12 was a personal bodyguard of Osama bin Laden. Wow. He was considered uh, like a hero and he was called a man of sword uh, 
by the other ISIS members, you know, by the way, all of them were highly educated people, doctors, pharmacists, engineers, IT specialists, and of course, imams. And, you know, they were uh, having uh, all diplomas from not only African universities, but also from European universities. And this guy, this man of sword, I actually found out later on what was the right reason why he was called man of sword, not because of being a bodyguard of Osama, but because he took part in the beheading of the 20 Coptic uh, Egyptian Christians yes. and one African Christian on the Libyan shore in February of 2015. A few months that. later, mm-hmm. few months later, he was sharing the cell with me and he was also threatening me uh, on my life and telling me that if I was the American or Russian, he would kill me immediately on the spot. Uh, and he was also showing how to kill a, a person with a, just a fishing line you know, that he had secretly hidden in his pocket and he was teaching the others how they could kill me. And later on, you know, they were also trying to uh, torture me with waterboarding, but the Lord has intervened in the right time and the right place by taking me out of their uh, cell, you know, just shortly before they wanted to start uh, the torture with waterboarding. How long were you in there with them? I was with them for two months. And, you know, I was, uh, at first they started to limit uh, uh, the freedom of movement. Later on, I was not supposed to talk when I was not asked. And I was only supposed to ask their questions. I was ridiculed. Uh, They used bad words. They used to call me a a filthy pig or filthy rat. And later on, they started to beat me, slapping my face, fist to my face, and or using the wooden stick or kicking me with their legs when I was on the floor. And uh, I was praying, you know, I was also extremely exhausted. You know, in the first three months, I lost 55 pounds of my body weight. And also, I have lost uh, uh, nearly half of my blood through internal bleeding. And, you know, in this uh, situation, I was just worried, you know, for my mental health. And I was praying and asking the Lord to give me the right words to ask their questions concerning my Christian faith so that I could share the gospel with them. And the Lord gave me the right words so that I uh, I could answer their questions. And quite often they remained silent when I was uh, explaining the, the difference between Christian faith uh, and Islam. And I, I'm still praying for them. You know, uh, I pray that the Lord Jesus would reveal himself to them uh, as Lord, Savior, and God, wherever they are now. Maybe they're in Europe, they're in Africa, they're in Asia, uh, but I'm still praying for them. Was there any aspect of the gospel or the person of Christ to which they responded positively? Uh, you know, I didn't see actually uh, quite uh, obvious positive reply. Yeah, right. I just saw the silence, but I knew that the Holy Spirit yeah. was working on their hearts. And, you know, this is an amazing. You know, when we say the Word of God, uh, there is a power in the Word of God. And, of course, you know, the Word of God that I spoke to them and I explained the gospel clearly that, we Christians, we don't have, we don't have to do anything to get, get, you know, to be saved. We just have to believe in what Jesus, the Lord Jesus did for us. And uh, that was an amazing moment, you know, because there's a difference, you know, their sins, even in Islam, they absolutely have no forgiveness. But in Christianity, you know, there is no sin that would be without forgiveness, sure. without the possibility of being forgiven. And I think that moment was something unique when I said that, you know, that they realized 
that uh, uh, Jesus brought uh, uh, the sacrifice for all the sins, no matter how uh, bad we consider that sins sure. or in, in the human eyes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we have to take a break right now. I want to come back, though, and ask you about the conversations you had with the uh, Eritrean refugees, um, <clears throat> who I understand mm. responded more positively uh, to mm. the presentation of the gospel. So stay with me. We'll be uh, right back. My guest, Peter Yashik, is uh, author of Imprisoned with Isis, Faith in the Face of Evil. I'm Al Cresta. We'll be right back. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Peter Yashik. He is uh, serving as the global ambassador for Voice of the Martyrs and uh, sharing his story of being um, uh, really imprisoned uh, with ISIS. Uh, he was uh, in Sudan expecting to come back um, to continue his own ministry. Uh, they accused him of being uh, trying to overthrow the regime. Uh, accused him of espionage, and uh, for, oh, 445 days, he was in prison trying to share the gospel. Uh, he went through times of ill health, and um, he was imprisoned with members of ISIS, and we were talking a little bit about his efforts to uh, share Christ with them. Um, you also had a chance to speak to these Eritrean refugees. Tell me a little bit about them and how they responded. You know, I have to be honest and I have to admit that for the first four months of my imprisonment uh, and suffering from the ISIS uh, fellow prisoners, uh, my prayers were very selfish. You know, I just prayed, you know, uh, to be released soon and to go to my family, to sure. be reunited with my wife and children. Uh, but, you know, when I was not released after the four months, which was kind of expected, you know, being instructed by the uh, embassy people, you know, that my case may long uh, for four months. And uh, after four months, when I thought I am being brought to the airport, I was actually transferred to another prison. And uh, the prison was even worse. You know, we were sometimes uh, 50 people squeezed in a room, maybe, uh, you know, uh, I would say six, uh, 25 square meters. I don't know how it's in square feet, but 25 square meters. And uh, one night, you know, when I was in prison four months and one day, uh, you know, uh, they brought uh, to our crowded cell 12 more prisoners, Um Eritrean refugees, teenagers, literally people from the age of 14 to 18, only two of them are older than 20 years. And suddenly, you know, I clearly uh, was instructed by the Holy Spirit who spoke directly to me, like, sit, go uh, sit beside them and share the gospel with them. I mean, that was such a clear, obvious instruction given by the Holy Spirit to me that I squeezed through the crowd Maybe I stepped on someone's uh, uh, foot or a leg or, I mean, or, or an arm. Uh, and I sat, I, I, I was started to sit beside them and I shared my testimony and I shared uh, the gospel with them. Of course, they were 
quite interested to listen to me because maybe at first they viewed me as future help when they eventually will make it to Europe because they were imprisoned uh, when they tried to illegally cross uh, the, the Sudanese-Libyan border. And uh, they responded, uh, you know, so I was speaking in English and uh, there was an interpreter uh, who spoke very good English and I saw clearly how their hearts were touched by what, by the gospel and what I was saying. And when I saw that, I clearly asked him, do you want to commit your life to Jesus? Do you want to, to make him the Lord of your life? Uh, all 12 of them responded positively. So we prayed together and, you know, they all prayed with me and committed their lives to Jesus. It was such a wonderful night. There was no space for us to sleep. And so we were just uh, spending the rest of the night in a wonderful, joyful conversation about their new faith. And in the morning, they called all 12 of them by names and they transferred them to different prison and I could not see them anymore. But my spiritual eyes were open. You know, I could now clearly see and I could see oh, what are my four months or what would be even for years, you know, being in prison uh, compared to the uh, weight of eternity for those who can spend the rest of their eternity with Jesus. I mean, and I, I, I stopped being concerned and I suddenly understand that that's the reason why I'm here. That's the reason why the Lord wants me to use, you know, to share the gospel with people around me. And so I started, you know, I was not with the Islamists anymore. I was with just ordinary or secular Muslims. So anyone who could speak English or who could understand my very limited Arabic, I started to share the gospel with them. And of hmm. course, this is forbidden to do it outside of prison. And of course, it is forbidden to do it in prison. So I was punished for that. After one week of doing that, I was put in the solitary confinement. Again, it was my second solitary confinement. And I have to say that the solitary confinement was never a penalty, a punishment for me. It was always a, a kind of, you know, uh, liberation. I had more space. I didn't have to <laughs> uh, worry about the few crumbs of a molded bread and a hard-boiled, hard-skin-boiled bean, tasteless beans, you know, to yeah. feed my stomach because they brought it just for me. And I was really grateful that, you know, uh, even though I missed the opportunity to share the gospel, and I started to share the gospel with the guards, you know, that were there. Mm -hmm. And also with the young cadets, uh, police uh, from the police academy, you know, who were there doing their practical studies uh, during their vacation. And uh, uh, one week later, uh, I had a great joy because I had a visitor from the Czech embassy and he brought me the Bible. And I was so excited. After five months of not having the Bible, I was, I was holding the Word of God in my hands. Oh. And I couldn't stop reading. Believe I me, I was standing <laughs> at the barred window, <laughs> leaning the, the Bible on the bars. And from dawn to dusk, uh, I could uh, uh, start reading uh, the Bible uh, you know, and I, uh, I finished reading from Genesis uh, to Revelation within three weeks. I was so deeply thirsty after the Word sure. of God. And I have to say that the Word of God started to speak completely in a different new way to me. Passages that I thought, that I understood, I started to understand in a different way. And passages that I never understood, I started to understand. And that was an amazing moment. I was wondering, why, Lord, why do I have this wonderful opportunity? But it, it took me three months really to understand uh, what was the true reason for that. What, 
when when you were there uh, with those members of ISIS, I, did they ever try to explain why they behaved the way they did towards non-Muslims? You know, one of them who was the leader, who was the most uh, aggressive and dangerous one, you know, he told me that uh, kind of like put me on the scale of hatred. I call it this way. Uh, you know, he said, if I would be here with the with the Jew, with the Shia Muslim, and with you, uh, whom do you think I would kill the first? And then he said, of course, I would kill first the Shia Muslim. You know, uh, then I started to understand uh, the deep, uh, you know, the depth of the hatred between uh, the Shia and uh, Sunni and Shia Muslims. And then he said, I would kill them, the Jew, and then I would kill you. So in one sense, I was quite, you know, good on the scale, I was the lowest, <laughs> but because there was no Shia Muslim and no Jew, I was the, the only one who was their enemy. So they clearly understood, you know, and, uh, you know, in one sense, uh, they also uh, saw, you know, because, you know, I had a wedding ring on my uh, finger and uh, which I was supposed to give away when I was being admitted to the prison, but because I was, uh, you know, a little overweight, so I couldn't take it off. I could probably, but I use it as an excuse. But when they saw the wedding ring on my finger, they said, you give it to us. And it's like a jizya, which is the Muslim tax for the non-Muslim population. Wow. Strictly speaking, they should start protecting me, but they were uh, behaving even worse. And uh, when I resisted to give them, uh, I knew that they could take it uh, by force, even by cutting off my finger, because they started to sharpen, you know, the edge of uh, the, one of the plates, metal plates they were using for for food. And so later on, I decided to give them the wedding ring. And uh, they told me that uh, when I would be released, uh, that uh, they will email me uh, to my email address that they asked me for, uh, you know, their bank account number and that I should support uh, ISIS with uh, maybe five or 10,000 US dollars to get my wedding ring back. They never actually wrote back. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, when I was released from prison, uh, my wife and I, we went uh, and we bought uh, new wedding rings uh, and we both uh, have the same one again. And, you know, that was actually the reason why when we published my book, Imprisoned with ISIS, you know, uh, we we changed slightly the title, modified the title. And in Czech language, uh, the meaning of the title is The Wedding Ring for Life. Okay. Well, St. Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 12.10 writes that... Uh, when he is weak, then he is strong. And he talks about the grace of God being sufficient. Was that a verse that was helpful to you during this time? You know, I'm so glad you chose this verse because that is the verse that uh, I would uh, say that is kind of uh, explaining the one of the first and most important lessons that I have learned in prison. You know, that when I was... Uh, absolutely at the at the bottom of my physical or emotional strength. And I was uh, worried, literally worried about my mental health. And I was literally praying and asking the Lord Jesus to keep my mind sound. You know, I have realized that when I was really at the bottom of my strength, that uh, the, Lord, the power of Jesus could uh, be revealed in me, you know, that, you know, uh, the Lord gave me the opportunity to share the gospel with them through my answers to their questions concerning the Christian faith, but not only to 
represent or to explain the gospel with words, but also with my attitudes. You know, I was I was often uh, beaten uh, into my face. You know, and the Lord Jesus said that if someone strikes you on your left cheek, offer him the right one as well. Uh, and I can tell you honestly, it was not me who was able to turn the other cheek to them. It was Christ in me who could do that. Yes. You know, I, my nature normally would be to defend myself, to to fight. And uh, in one sense, it would be useless to uh, fight against uh, young, strong uh, fighters. You know, all of them could be my sons by age, you know. and uh, But the fact that I never retaliated uh, made them even worse and angrier. Uh, and they came with the new ideas how they could... Uh, uh, beat me or torture me. Yeah. You you grew up in communist Czechoslovakia. In what way did that prepare you uh, <laughs> to engage in this kind of spiritual warfare? I would say in many ways. You know, I remember the fact when I was a high school student, I think I was a freshman, and uh, at that time I was also a uh, a fresh believer, you know, even though I grew up in a Christian family, we all know that we cannot, uh, you know, uh, inherit uh, right. the kingdom of God. We have to be born into it. And uh, shortly after I was baptized and uh, as young adult and freshman in high school, the persecution intensified uh, rapidly. And uh, one day I came home from high school and uh, realized that my parents, who normally would be at home, they were not. And later on, I found out that they both of them were arrested uh, by secret police and interrogated because of the underground Christian work, you know, because my parents organized a, a discipleship training school for young people from all different denominations. You know, at that time, being under the communist oppression, the, the denominations didn't matter that right. much. We, we're all brothers and <laughs> it sisters. It brings us all together, and, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, when my parents were eventually released, and they were sharing their experiences, you know, what they were asked for and how they replied. I was just silently watching them and listening to their experience. I, I believe that was a very useful experience. For instance, my father, uh, he, he shared and he said, usually, you know, when they ask you for something, the first question is uh, quite obvious. They they know the answer for that question, and they're just testing you whether you want to cooperate or not. You know, so I believe that I remembered my father's advices quite often when I was being interrogated. So it, it was a tremendous help. And in one sense, you know, uh, I, I even after we were released from the oppression of the communist regime, uh, I, I encouraged, I continued to encourage many believers and explaining the word of Jesus, you know, when he says, for instance, in John 15, 18 through 21, he says and explains why we as Christians uh, will be persecuted. Because we, he says, because you are not of the world. If you were of the world, the world would love you. But right. because you are not of the world, the world hates you. And then he says, the word world hates me because they don't know the one who sent me. And that's very important, you know, that whenever we hear about persecution by others, by Muslims, radical Muslims, by radical Hindus, uh, or by uh, any other communist or other totalitarian regime, we can know that those people do not know who God is. Who God is. Peter, thank you very much. Great making your acquaintance, and I hope we get a chance to meet face-to-face -face someday. Thank you. 
Thank you for the invitation. God bless you. Peter Yashik, imprisoned with ISIS.